Hey, everybody. We are back. Back with season number three. Episode one. Is it season three or four? I think it's three. I honestly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we can check on that later. Either way, we are back in the studio. It's fall and we're really excited to be back. Yeah, fall mm-hmm. 2020. Um, we are back at school. So we're back in the studio because that's what we do. And I didn't check, but I think our last recorded episode was in May, if I remember right. Wow. So, yeah, it's been a little while. We kind of ended off our podcasting season <laughs> two or three, kind of. One of those. Whatever it would yeah. be, with um, just abruptly. I don't even think we really had a final closing episode no. for the season because we got sent home because of coronavirus. But now we're back on campus. Hopefully for the rest of the semester, but you know, who knows? Any episode could be your last. This is true. Well, any episode may be the last until we go Zoom again, because that's how we finished off with ours last time. Yeah. Um, so, Jamin, I'll ask you, what are we looking at for the upcoming season of the Abstract Podcast? Tell us a little bit about what we can expect. Yeah, so what we're hoping to do in this season is maybe a little bit less of bringing guests in um, in the past, we've we've focused on grabbing a lot of professors off of campus here and doing conversations, interviews with them about their area of expertise. But as we've grown, I guess, and um, I don't know, just kind of expanded our vision a little bit, what we're hoping to do is just do more of us two in the studio. Mm-hmm. But then also we, what we've figured out is really fun is reaching out to people that we know for input. So that last season, what that looked like was we did Zoom call interviews kind of mm-hmm. with some friends asking for their input. We had people like from all around the country, even overseas. Mm-hmm. And so what we're hoping to do this season is reach out to people asking for their opinions on like one certain matter. Like give us a couple sentences on what you think about this. And then we'll collect that, bring it into the studio and then see what people have to say. Yeah. So like the idea being <clears throat> there's a lot of things that, that we could talk about and getting like a lot of different takes on it and being a model for like small L liberalism and how we can all share our opinions they may differ and we're just gonna have a good time talking about them right so, yeah and so I, like the point is not to bring in someone's opinion and you know tear them to shreds yeah. without them being here that's classic talk show right there that's right. what you do yeah but um no just reach out to people let them talk say what they have to say and then we'll always be here saying what we have to say too yeah so that's that's the idea of what we're going to go for this season um before we do Let's recap just a little bit. It was a busy summer. Javen, you had some significant life changes. Yeah, man. I think we, we both had yeah. big life changes. <laughs> I got married in May, so that was pretty significant. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and I then, now wear this ring everywhere I go. Yeah, so It's nice. Yeah, thanks. Nice and gold. 40 bucks. <laughs> Amazon special? Etsy, I think. Etsy, I got you. Yeah, that was actually a really exciting, well, not exciting, but stressful thing. I bought it from the UK twice. <laughs> do tell yeah the first time I bought it it uh, it just didn't really show up for a very long time and so I cancelled the order and then I made the mistake of reordering the same one from the UK again nothing against the UK or Boris or any of them but it just took a very long time and it was right down to the wire and then it ended up not coming for our wedding so the morning of our wedding Alicia and I just went to Walmart and bought a two pack of the little silicone oh, yeah. rings. Yeah. That's what I exchanged. Yep. Yeah. I go through about three a year. So <laughs> <laughs> they're kinda cool. I don't like the way they look so much, but no. I mean yeah. if you're doing something active, 
you know, it's good. Yeah, I like them for that. They stretch and all that. Anyway, yeah, it was just, it was a crazy time. We got married in my parents' backyard. Who gets to do that? Because our other venue didn't work out. But it, it actually, it ended up working super nice. And it was nice having it locally. We didn't have to transport all of our stuff back and forth from the venue. So it ended up working out really well. And then it was just, it was a busy summer, man. We went from, we got married, went on our honeymoon to North Carolina. We came back. We went to Charleston with some friends, came back, went to Phoenix for three months, then came back. Nice. So, yeah. And what, a week before the semester starts? Yeah, we got home a week before the semester starts. So, it was a great summer. Got to see a lot of the country. Um, yeah, man. What about you? You had some big events happen too. Yeah. And on June 11th, uh, we had our first child born. So, Brooks Alexander was born then. Yeah. Um, so he's coming on three months. It's been it's been great. Lost some sleep. Um, <laughs> it's we've had some complications Dude, and some stressors here and there. Between being it. a senior and having a child, you are probably not going to sleep. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. We were talking about this the other night about like we're enjoying where we're at in life, but we brought up the question: Would we recommend it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it would, but it's it's been good though. So we'll see how the year goes. Um, but yeah, that's that's where there we've been at. There's been we've had it's caused some stress just because he's had some feeding problems and things like that. So lots of doctors visits. Um, so we're not quite out of the woods with that, but so far so good. He's 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 healthy and happy. So we'll keep rolling with that. And uh, let's talk cultural artifacts from the summer. What was your favorite song, book, and movie from the summer? Wow. That's assuming that I watched one movie, read one book, and listened to Yeah, there's a lot of assumptions in that question. Maybe I didn't read or watch anything. Just kidding. I had a road trip. Two of them. I had a lot of time. The best book I read over the summer was this book that I found on a must-read book list online. And those are the ones that you just order without even thinking. You just order them. It was called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Oh, I've heard of that. Have one. you? Yeah. Yes. He's, at least according to the reviews on the back of his book, pretty much like one of the most important um, thinkers of today. He's like a, he, he deals a lot with, like, he's a psychologist. That's what he does. And so the book is just, it's a great read. It was big, it was thick. But it was a good read, and I was super glad I did it. It talks all about one of the the main ideas in the book is he puts this acronym to it, but it's what you see is all there is. And so he talks about how you know there can be however many different factors going on at one time, but what you're perceiving, what you're recognizing in your mind, like that's all that you're using to make the decision. And so it walks you through so many different scenarios. He's just lifelong. Um, experimenter does research so he kind of it's kind of a biographical account almost as he walks through the research that he's done with his colleague Amos but then also just explaining things along the way it's really great um it's definitely taught me I guess you know I guess new ways to think about like advertising campaigns or anytime you're trying to um persuade someone about something or the ways that you're being persuaded about something so that's a book that I've I'll keep in my library and definitely go back and reference for a long time. Um, should we go back and forth? Or sure. I just keep going? Sure. Okay. Yeah, so um, what was the best book you read this summer? Best book I read this summer, it was actually an autobiography of 
um, Andre Agassi. Uh, he was a tennis player. I think he won six Grand Slams, um, which I'm not even exactly sure what those are, except I think he means you win like the Wimbledon and the French Open and like a couple others. It seems good. It's yeah, big. Yeah, it's very good. Um, but honestly, it's I'm I haven't read just a ton of autobiographies, but of the ones that I have, it is by far the best one I have ever read. Um, so yeah, he's a tennis player and he writes about his struggles with his father um, and how he actually hated tennis for a lot of his life. But anyway, you should definitely, it's, it's, I would definitely consider it a must read. It's a little rough around the edges, <laughs> but um, I, I was so glad to have read it. I read a lot of it actually. Um, we had a lot of time, we spent a lot of time in the hospital uh, for waiting for Brooks to come. So that gave me a, lot, a, a good chance to, to read. And then you spent a lot of time just holding him. So just hold him and read a book for a while. So it was pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that was definitely my favorite um, book that I read this summer. What's it called? Uh, Open by Andre Agassi. Open. Yep. And okay. it's, it is a, I would highly recommend it if you're into that sort of thing. I don't know much about tennis. I don't even watch tennis that much, but even if you don't know much about tennis, it's great. You know, I tried to learn how to play tennis this summer. We were living like a block from a tennis court in a park. And so I got the idea that we should learn how to play tennis. So we bought some tennis rackets at the thrift store. Yeah, yeah. We went like twice because it's hard. It, it looks very hard. Um, yes, even yeah. if your father doesn't hate you, yeah, it's still hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, song. Yeah, best, best song. song. I don't know. I honestly, this summer, I didn't listen to just a lot of music. I should have listened to more, but... um. So as far as one song, I'm not entirely sure, but I will definitely say that the best thing I've been listening to lately is the Killers' new album, um, "Imploding the Mirage." Mm -hmm. I think I think different albums just strike different people in different ways because I think I, we talked about it right. earlier and like you liked it, but you didn't think it was just amazing. And then my brother Luke, who's a big music fan, also it didn't strike him that much. But for me, I thought it was the best thing I've heard in mm -hmm. a long time. Side note, I had a dream. <laughs> I had this weird dream about the album last night. I won't get into it. It was strange. But that's how much Maybe I for it. another episode. Yeah, there it was in my dream. No, I love the um the album. It's called Imploding the Mirage and I think it's a good example um of what it means to for me at least to sit with a piece of art. Like I've listened through it like probably four or five times at least. And the way that it reveals itself to you, the more you sit with it, um I'm not comparing it to scripture, but scripture mm -hmm. is another thing that does that. Like, you don't understand things the first time you read them. I don't think right. you're supposed to. But the longer you sit with it you, and you honor the piece, the more it reveals itself to you. And this this album is about, I think, um, growing up. Even maybe once you're <laughs> you're you've stopped physically growing, but it, it talks about um, he or whoever writes the songs. Brandon Flowers, I guess, helps, but. Like he mentions all these figures um, that like he's seeing in the world, and a lot of them are female characters. Like, you know, white trash is kind of the way he right. typifies the one girl. But like these figures that are emerging out of really hard conditions. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones. And then, like it, I think it's obvious that it's contemporarily contexted. Um, he talks. I don't know. Just go listen to the album. It's really good. But then, yeah. then the last song is the title track, Imploding the Mirage. Mm -hmm. And it just seems to me like there's all these things that I thought the world was. And then I've seen all these other things and my ideas are imploding. And that's a good thing. Yeah. 
And and the thing I liked about it is a lot of his other albums detail, um, like uh, I think the previous one was wonderful, wonderful. And you have you know kind of the the big hit from that song is or from that album is you know it's uh, Rut. Um, yeah. And then you know have you Battle Born before that, and a lot of those albums detail like it's a lot of those songs are kind of this heart wrenching difficulty of um, the complexity of close relationships. Like especially yeah. he 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 deals a lot with his marriage, um, and in that he's had to walk through. You know his wife has PTSD, and he's had to walk with her through that. And this album was cool because it's like you started seeing like the album builds towards this kind of crescendo at the end, um, where it's like we're starting to feel the joy of the commitments that we've made, like mm. you know, through those, through those times that you've heard detailed in gut wrenching detail, uh, in some of the previous albums. So I thought it was just kind of a cool way they, they built upon and, and how they, yeah. Um, how like he, it seemed in the album that you get to this point when you've been with someone through all these things. And it's like, at, at the end you realize that you were, now that you look back, you're one instead of two. Mm. Um, was kind of yeah, what I thought was. Yeah, I cool... remember there's there's one song. Um, I think it's called. <sighs> it opens with "Give me the eyes that I may see." You should look up the track list. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which song it was, but yeah, it 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 actually expressly says that it's like, "Can two become one?" I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Look up the track list. I think my favorite song from the album was "Blowback." Yeah, that one was stuff good. was so good, Brent. There's something about his voice, man. Like, mm-hmm. I I think I say that the Killers are our generation's U two. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in my opinion, they are that good. Their albums. I think it might be just... Dying Breed. What you're thinking of is that is it that one? No, it's farther down. Okay, Lightning Fields. That one might. I like that one a lot. No. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, I think it might be Running Towards a Place. Yeah, Running yeah. Towards okay. a Place. Yeah. I was thinking Running Towards a Dream. Yeah, Running Towards a Place. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're right. The end of the album is the crescendo, and it's really good. Yeah, and it felt like the crescendo of kind of their their band's work, um, like what they've been doing for the last several years. So anyway, so that was good. Um, for me, favorite song, uh, the one song I had on repeat throughout like a, for like a month straight was um, Across the Border by Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Um, it's in the album um, The Ghost of Tom Jones. Oh, that yeah. Album. So that, that to me is like true Bruce Springsteen when it's like him and a guitar in his garage. Um, cause like some of his albums, I'm not as big of a fan, but like to, to me, that's, that's true to the core of Bruce Springsteen sure. and it's just fantastic. Um, and, and that song, it was kind of how you were describing this album. I, I think a lot of it was context for where I was in life that, 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 yeah, that song sure. really, um, that I just gravitated towards it and it was on repeat for a while. It still is some, so that one's really good too. Yeah. That album is incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blanking on it. It's a Christian singer, Jason something. Gray? Yeah, Jason Gray. I remember listening to something with him, and he was saying that he can't listen to that album, I think specifically the the Ghost of Tom Joad song, without crying. He said every time. But for me, it was really cool. I read The Grapes of Wrath. Have you ever yeah. read that? No, I haven't. Yeah, but to read The Grapes of Wrath and then listen to the song The Ghost of Tom Joad, yeah. which is what it's written off of. I don't know if Springsteen actually read the book, but it was written based on that book. That's that's a good album. There's it's something bit, powerful yeah. about Springsteen. Yeah, that, that album is just fantastic. Um, okay, lastly, movie. Yeah, favorite movie I've seen. Um, my favorite movie that I've seen this summer, I think, was Gran Torino. Have you seen, seen that it? one? No. I loved it, man. It was Clint Eastwood. Um, 
It seems like Clint Eastwood basically plays one character in every single movie, yeah. and he was that one. So it's about this old guy. Uh, it's set somewhere up in the Northeast, and he's a war veteran from the Korean War, this really super old guy, like as old as Joe Biden mm. and Donald Trump. And he sits on his front porch, and his neighborhood, which was traditionally all white, and his neighbors that he knew is being invaded by these um, Eastern people who are moving in. And what is literally kind of an invasion on his neighborhood of these. These people aren't Korean, but they're of that kind of nationality. And so it's like okay. he's kind of reliving his war experience. But, um, yeah, it's it's a super powerful movie. And I, I think I would almost classify Gran Torino as a war film. Like, it felt like okay. it was speaking as a war film. But there's there's no scenes of battle except for maybe the last one. So, yeah, Gran Torino was the best movie I've seen this summer. Um, did you see anything? We can't go to the theater, which sucks. But did you see anything that was great? Right. No. Um, honestly, I didn't even watch that many movies this summer. Um, the one, I, I don't know if it was even in the summer. It may have been more in the spring, but I I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a different, it would be definitely be a different genre than what you're talking about. But Hunt for the Wilder People, have you seen that one? No, it's I've a, heard of it. It's a Tiki Watiti film, so you're yeah. in for like some... <laughs> brilliance and some humor and imagination yeah lots of imagination so that one's fantastic it's about ricky biker um (laughs) but he's this like obese homeless boy from new zealand who goes and is in the foster care system and ends up with um these with huck and i forget the woman's name but anyway it's it's a terrific terrific film i just Love his stuff, especially if I mean I love Jojo Rabbit. Another yeah, I was films. gonna bring that up. We watched Jojo Rabbit together, right? Yes, for the first time. Yeah, had you seen it before we watched it? Uh, no. I don't yeah, think we so. watched it for the first time at your house. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit was. I don't remember when we watched that. Was that the, the that summer? Was back in the spring. The spring. Yeah, that yeah. was also one of the best movies I've seen mm-hmm. in a while too. Yeah. So um, those were good. Right now, I'm in the series Waco, um, oh, and that yeah. one's been that one's been very fascinating. Um, so. That's about the David Koresh and the Branch Davidians and yeah. the standoff in Waco, Texas back in, was that early 2000s? Late 90s? I don't remember. Yeah, I wasn't born yet. But uh, I don't think. Maybe I was. 90s maybe then. But anyway, that's what I've been, so I've been watching that some. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna say with um, the film Jojo Rabbit, mm-hmm. it's been interesting for me because I've seen people who, I mean, to be honest, I, I really disagree with mm-hmm. in kind of contemporary life that also love that film. And I think that's yeah. a great thing about yeah. about good art is it doesn't really matter. It doesn't always matter what your your views are mm-hmm. contemporarily. Like when you look at a piece of something like that, a story like that, like everybody can love that. Mm-hmm. And it is saying express things, but I think yeah. maybe we're interpreting what it's talking about differently. And it's, yeah, we that, all love it because of that. Right. And he kind of took a dare. Um, that I thought was actually kind of brilliant, like having an alter ego of Hitler. That's kind of this humorous, um, humorous figure that goes around with. Yeah, I mean, kid. it's a ten-year-old. Yeah, yeah, and like that was kind of a daring move because of how closely we are from that history and all that. So, but it, I, I thought it was just fantastic how he played that all. And then, like, I really appreciate his humor. Like, it's, it's like this. I don't even know how to describe it except like a, a it's like a brilliant sort of humor that mm-hmm. that's not cheaper you just say something dumb and like some some are it was just like it was just brilliantly funny i think there are some um writers who are able 
that might have been really low. Able to remember what it was like to be a kid mm-hmm. and somehow recapture that. And I yeah. don't even like. It feels like I'm only 23, and it sometimes feels like I forget what it feels like to be a kid. But somehow you have writers who yeah. are able to just bring that back. And that, mm-hmm. like, my favorite book is Bridge of Terabithia, and it's because they're able to do that. Yeah. Like, the author does that so well. And I feel like in that yeah, film too, like book. it was funny, but it wasn't crude. Like it was no, just funny, yeah. like genuinely funny. Yeah, yeah, and. Just did such a great job with it, but anyway, those are all those are all good recommendations. I think yeah. to go check out. But enough about cultural artifacts. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the good stuff, <laughs> which is it's just been. Mm, let's not say curse words. It's been a show. <laughs> yeah, it's been a show this this summer, and it's been fun. We both listened to the Holy Post, and um, just hearing. I mean. Their perspectives, I guess. But yeah, just listening to what this summer has been crazy. It has been nuts. It doesn't matter where you're at. This has been crazy. So like you've got, I've been thinking about, we have some friends who go to Liberty University. Mm -hmm. The seriously horrific fall of Jerry Falwell Jr. That has been a long time coming. Yeah. And then recently we have, let's talk about this, Eric Metaxas. Oh man. Assaulting someone on a bike. Yes. I mean, I remember back in high school, we used to listen to, was it Breakpoint? What was it called? Yeah, well, it was Breakpoint. And like, I mean, I even went to a teacher conference where he was the main keynote speaker. And I've had a lot of respect for him over the years. Um, Like, I just remember thinking like, and I, you know, I read his biography of Bonhoeffer, which was no short undertaking. The book's huge. But um, I just remember coming through some of that stuff and like having a lot of respect. Like, this is a really thoughtful guy. Um, and that's had to change in the last two years. Um, yeah, I would I'll go. I don't mean to cut you off, but I would say like I had that opinion of him, too. But it's yeah. definitely fallen off in the last couple yeah, of years. I, I don't feel that way anymore. And and this latest revelation. And then, yeah, the assaulting on the bike was yeah. really icing on the cake for him. Which for me, like, yeah. We, well, OK, just to quick give you the skinny on on what happened. It hasn't been in just a ton of news coverage, but. You can you can trace some of these videos where you see Metaxas. He was at the RNC, um, which was on the White House lawn, uh, the Republican National Convention, and it was the night of Trump's speech, all that. Um, but so they're all leaving, and and granted, there was there it was a hostile crowd leaving to go to their hotels. Um, you saw um, uh, Rand Paul, the senator. Um, it was just really ironic he's being surrounded by protesters yeah that was the same night saying say her name say her name and he's the one pushing for the justice for brianna taylor act so i mean it's yeah i get i get the hostility there but so eric metaxas is uh, in this video is allegedly walking down the street and this guy uh this this guy on a bike protester drives by and yells expletive trump over and um, over, almost as in like a chorus. He's just yeah. he's just yelling this as loud as he can. And he drives by Metaxas, and Metaxas swings at him and punches the guy. Yeah, it looks just like in the face. Sucker punches him just right in the head. Sucker punches him in the face, and then prances off. Yeah, and then like um, doesn't stick around to fight him or anything. He just no, he just runs backwards. Runs backwards, and, and you the can guy hear- walks. The guy kind of runs. The guy he had, he assaulted kind of runs at him a little bit. Um, but I mean, the video is clear. The guy was not, I mean, he was yelling expletive about Trump, <laughs> right. but that is, he was w- within his free speech bounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was not, he was not breaking the law or assaulting Metaxas in any way. And um, so anyway, seeing this, I mean, I honestly was just, 
disturbed by it to see. And like for me, it was really humbling too to see like like this was a guy I had a lot of respect for, and to see yeah. where he's ended up at it, like it's really humbling to see how hardened you can get so fast. Um, which I'm sure this is, you know, this has been. I'm sure it's been a long time in the making. It's not just the last two years, but yeah. and he just snapped one night. I mean, yeah, you know, someone just made him snap. Right, and and I mean, yeah, like we're all capable of that. But to see like this has been consistently his trajectory where it was headed this way for a long time, just with how he engaged in social media, how he talked, his rhetoric, who he aligned himself with, and I don't know, it's just really humbling to see where that played out and where that put him at. Just. Um, and, and disturbing as well. It's been interesting. Uh, I was checking out his Twitter threads, and yeah. like, at least at the point when I had checked, he had made no mention of anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he got in any trouble for what he did. It was it was pretty ironic. He soccer punches this guy in the face, and then you know everyone kind of gets like, "Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. what just happened?" And the, the cops run up and actually detain the guy he punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. which is interesting. I, I guess if I don't know if you're wearing a suit coat and white pants mm-hmm. and have a woman on your arm, then you don't get arrested and the other yeah. guy does. But I don't know if any justice happened to that, but in his Twitter thread, man, every time he tweets, the comments are just lit up. Like, And I like personally, I, I hope that people don't forget this. Like, I hope right. it doesn't just go away. Like, You can't just yeah. punch someone in the yeah. face and and expect to get away with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I want to read. I saw um, he's, he's a writer I disagree with on many, many fronts, but <laughs> At, there's many of his pieces I at least respect. Yeah. Um, Rod Dreher, he's a conservative writer. Um, but he wrote a piece on the American conservative, I think, defending Metaxas' actions. So I don't know if there's more to it. The video is pretty damning, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, it's pretty clear what happened. And then his wife yells, Eric! Yeah. Like, <laughs> right when he punches There's him not too face. many questions. I don't know. It was just, to me, I was just greatly disturbed seeing it. And, yeah. Anyway, that's that's that. Yeah. Eric Metaxas, folks. So, Colin, for you, what is, um, like, we, well, I know you had a kid, so you were, mm-hmm. you guys were being pretty careful about where you went out, not going mm-hmm. to church for a while, and just this chance to, or this, I don't know if I'd say chance, this sentence, to just sit inside, stay in your home for a long time. Mm-hmm. I kind of had the same thing. We had to quarantine a few times out in Phoenix. Yeah. But then even when we came back home and just... Like, what have you been feeling as a Christian, as a college student, as whatever, all the pieces of you? Like, what's it been like for you? Um, this has been a crazy, crazy time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, a couple things. For one, I've read more about viral diseases than I ever thought I would, even as a you know, science education major. Um, but I did feel this... Uh, I don't know what you call it. I, I I honestly had to be very reflective about my social media practices just because of the amount of, I don't know if you call it anxiety or angst or whatever it yeah. would be, seeing um, just a whole level of preposterous notions and um, feeling, yeah, just the amount of of misinformation and conspiracy that went on um, in circles that I'm closely knit to, yeah. um, was very difficult to know how to even navigate that faithfully. Um, cause I felt, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much into the weeds we want to get into this. Let's go. From, let's from let's bush hog the weeds, theological, scientific, philosophical <laughs> ends or whatever. But, um, cause 
yeah, I don't know. Where do we even want to start with? <laughs> it kind of opens up a can of worms. But for me, there was a couple simple reasons why I thought it was important to try my best to stay informed about it. Um, for one was my my witness to the best interpretation of reality as a Christian. Um, I would consider that caring about truth. Um, but that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of a misnomer to say because, I mean, everybody's going to, you know, the, the person who believes something different about, say, COVID yeah, or I mean, whatever is still going to say this is the real truth. But, um, yeah, strictly, okay, very simply, just from even simply a theological standpoint, I, it, to me, I just don't see any way you can make an argument that the numbers aren't at least close to where they are about how many people have died from COVID-19 in the U.S. And being a person who cares about the image of God and who cares about my neighbor, and that's my overall impetus in life, and those two things showing my love for God, I wanted to be extremely careful about transmitting it. I wanted to be careful about positions I put myself in. Um for reasons of, for one, not spreading it to someone who might be vulnerable to it, but then on another, um, on another level, uh, just not spreading it so that our, for a lot of the people who own small businesses in our towns and things like that that are having to shut down, um, yeah. To me, that seemed pretty straightforward and non-controversial as a way to faithfully live as a Christian. And and like in, I know in plagues past that you know Christians were on the front lines and living and dying you know, helping people in this. and But like, I, I think we're separated from that culturally um, and contextually. Like we have nurses and doctors that that's what they're trained to do. And they're instructing us in ways that we can help them out. And so to me, that that that's a really short, <laughs> brief answer. We can get more into the weeds. Our but... freedoms. It's about our freedoms. I know. Well, okay. They are uh, taking my freedoms from me. Okay, can we talk about... Western civilization is about to fall, Colin. Can we talk about freedoms for a second? Let's talk about how we define freedoms, because that was my big issue um, with how we define freedoms, because it seemed to me that the freedom we were espousing, so whether it's masking, so say it's masking, I have my rights, I have my freedom, I can't be controlled or told what to do. Yeah. It's my choice. Okay, first off, that freedom just breaks down in a civil society. Um, so for instance, you have a creek running through or a river running through your property. You are not allowed to dump whatever <laughs> kind of carnage you want in the river because it's going to affect people yeah. and the ecology downstream. Um, and that's, I don't think that's an infringement on freedom per se. I think that's, you just, when freedom is your complete ethos yeah. as, as a person and as a society, or it's the same idea that I should have the freedom to self-express and walk naked down the street. Right. Um, you know, that just doesn't work <laughs> in a civil society. Freedom cannot be the bottom line. And I think, I mean, this argument's been, been being made by conservatives for years and years in the abortion debate. They say a mother's choice cannot be the end game. There has to be more than just individual choice. There has to be uh, commitment to a community as but, well. But Colin, <laughs> abortion is about someone else. The mask is just about me. Well, and that's where it's like, well, actually the mask is to help you stop the spread so that it doesn't get to someone who it could yeah. be potentially dangerous for. Yeah. So I don't know. that. Yeah. It, it got to the point, though, where I, at times I would wonder, am I the one believing the conspiracy theory? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, um, of course, yeah. And, and so... I would kind of double down. Well, let's let me 
take a fresh look and yeah um but i mean yeah it, it did come down a lot i think to how you get your information and how you think about information um so like for me uh i really appreciated training i've had in some of my science classes reading peer-reviewed science journals how to tell at least a decent study i'm not i'm not great at it but at least you know being able to see you know the, the one video that goes viral these two doctors in california um who run an emergency this? care clinic oh yeah i seen um, those guys right, right so in that they take not a random sampling it's not representative of the california population they draw mass conclusions off it um anyway it's just like simple things like that that i don't know i don't know that much about but i felt simple to see some of it there so like that's how i get my information a lot though and how i think is i look for studies and the scientific consensus yeah and, yeah um, but mean, not everybody looks at it that way because that is a way of brainwashing from elites in 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 some I mean, that's kind of a crude way of putting it, but right. I've seen that in some places. And, you know, that was and we even saw it from the White House on down with with Trump's investigation of Dr. Fauci. And it was stuff like that that yeah, know, it's been amazing to watch. <laughs> sure. Um, and I guess the public opinion that the tide has turned on Fauci or at least yeah. at least been split down the middle like the Red Sea. Um, yeah. Now, dude, what you're what you're trying to articulate i'm I'm feeling that too um i i seen this someone tweeted i forget it, it was some christian pastor or something and it was saying that you know if you're a christian right now and you're feeling politically homeless then that's right where you should be mm-hmm. and I, i've actually been thinking about that for quite a while um that is <laughs> probably the most concise way to say the way that i feel right now and it's also hard because you know you we're um we're affected or I shouldn't say affected but we're we're like an integrated part of not only our um geographical community but then also in the 21st century we have the option to, we also have your social media community and so something like Facebook might be local but something like Twitter or the podcast you choose to consume you know you might be choosing to be a part of other ideological communities or I don't know if communities is the right word but you know what I mean like media mm-hmm. pools and so it can feel really like disjointed when you're talking to people in the street who have decided one way, the things that you're consuming, um, the thought leaders that you're listening to have decided another way. And like, you're just, it's such a conflicting thing. Mm -hmm. But I think, (laughs) I mean, there's nothing like growing up in the South for, for hearing one kind of Mm -hmm. one opinion. And I'm sure it's that way across other parts of the country, but that's been, Interesting coming back from Phoenix and kind of the the commonly held um, perspectives just by the people you run into in that city versus mm-hmm. then coming back home and and then seeing what what public opinion is like here it's it's been kind of a culture shock but I think honestly I've I've done more <laughs> I mean just staying up at night in the kitchen just just standing there and just thinking I mean I just don't know what to think anymore like yeah what do I think about my parents generation what do I think about the leaders in my church? What do I think about the people around me? And mm-hmm. I mean, just just to be honest, I've just I've just been doing a lot of, I mean, not actually crying tears, but just like mourning and just feeling yeah. like this overwhelming sadness. Like I don't feel like I have a home right. <laughs> in this place. Like the people around me, it's just it's so hard. And 
like I think to be a Christian right now is to be homeless in the sense that you just if you're going to be faithful to Christ, it, it's not compatible with with mainstream or honestly even I mean culturally accepted norms, the way that we deal with each other, the way that we're reacting to the mask debate, the fact that masking has become a debate. The fact that yeah, you know the fact that our culture war mentality is so ingrained in us that that, that is how we interpret everything. And I think that's what I found myself thinking a lot about, like how that is kind of my, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say default or not necessarily my default, but it's something I became aware of, of how maybe culturally events are interpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that meant, you know, when mass come around, it quickly devolves into culture. Yeah. When a virus comes around, it devolves into a culture war, which when this initially landed, it was not. Um, or when George Floyd was killed originally, it was not a culture yeah. war. Um, and I mean, now I think we have every time something bad happens, like you've got the guy in Kenosha, right? Portland shooting stuff. I mean, as soon as things yeah. happen, then, you know, we just, we start worrying about it. It's also, I was having a text conversation with a good friend yesterday and we were having kind of this discussion, you know, masking. It's become this thing where like throughout my day on campus, I'm going to be uncomfortable at some point, regardless of what mm-hmm. I do, because I have professors who adamantly require that I wear a mask and then I wear it right. And then I have professors who, as, as soon as they walk into the classroom, they take it off and they encourage us not to wear them because it's, you know, it's full of crap. And so like when, you know, when you're entering and not just professors, like then what if you go into a gas station? Mm-hmm. What if you go into Walmart? Yeah. yeah. And what if you see someone you know out there? Like these things have become symbols, right? Of what we believe. And, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what you do. At some point, you're, someone's going to think you're an idiot throughout the day. Right. That was the thing. And, um, because that was the thing early on when, when, like, especially before stores were requiring masks, you know, I just wear it into the store and you knew, I mean, it, it has, become such a loaded symbol to wear a mask yeah, or to sure. not wear a mask. You know what labels people are putting you on. And I think, I mean, if I could just say one of my biggest frustrations for how I felt that it could be seen is I I felt that if I cared about not spreading COVID-19, if I cared about doing my best to avoid large crowds, to avoid, you know, the kind of things that they ask you to avoid mm-hmm. um, in the name of helping to not spread this virus. Um, I felt that if I participated in that out of a Christian conscience of what it means to love God and love neighbor, I could quickly be understood as what well, you're just living out of fear. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, that we was the, my, we the sheeple yeah. <laughs> wake up sheeple. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it was this idea that, that there's two binaries. You either take it serious yeah. and you're yeah, terrified yeah. of it or you say, you know what, I'm not standing for government control and this is blowing up and I'm not yeah. going to live in fear. I'm going to go out there. Um, and, you know, um, you know, and that's I don't that's that's what even a lot of church leaders like kept up with John MacArthur. Some that's. Yeah. Man. Um, and that's that's been his messaging. I mean, he came out yesterday and basically said or in his message on Sunday and essentially said if if you are taking this virus, if you're still taking it seriously, you're essentially satanic was, really? was essentially 
his argument. I didn't, I didn't um, hear the reason, sir, he but did. I know that he's also put forward that if you're a Christian, you vote for Trump. Yes. So it seems like things are pretty clear cut here. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and okay, he didn't use the word satanic, but if you look at the definition of satanic and how he described them, yeah. they fit. <laughs> yeah. Um, which seemed like an incredible claim. Um, and, you know, he's, you know, he got a lot of press for him refusing to, um, to, to follow California mandates to not meet in-person church, which there's some complex issues sure. to be sure there. Um, but his, his, his zero sum game mentality of we're not going to do anything like not even engage with possibly meeting outside, which is allowed. Um, anyway, th- there's stuff like that, that it was just difficult to manage. Um, yeah. but to feel that, that kind of scrutiny sometimes within the Christian community that you're living out of fear and you're completely deceived um, yeah, I mean, that sucks to feel, you know? It does. You know, um, especially when yeah. I, I, I really tried my best uh, to try to figure out what it meant to love God and love our neighbor in this moment. Yeah. And I thought a lot of what that meant was, had a lot to do with how you listened to, or how, how you understood public health. Sure. Well, and another thing that I've been, I mean, we talked about this, we rode to school together and we are talking about it excuse me, is, you know, people will say, well, if you want to mask, that's, that's, I'm right. fine with that. You can mask. I'm just not going to. It's, you know, this libertarian perspective. Right. As long as you don't infringe upon my God-given freedoms. Right. Who was I even listening to? They, anyway, we won't get into it. It was this idea that God has given me freedom to do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And if you infringe upon my ability to do anything that I want to, then that's going against God. And it's mm-hmm. just like, whatever. But people will say, you know, yeah, you can wear a mask if you want to, but I'm not going to. But that's just not really how disease works. <laughs> right. Kind of, right. You're not wearing a mask, you're spreading right. it. Um, but I also, I wanted to put this point to you, see what you think of it. Um, I, I think that more than, well, first of all, these issues aren't new. Over the summer, I also mm-hmm. read this book called The Plague by Albert Camus. And oh, okay. Camus is a philosopher, one. thinker. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that book was written back, I don't know, in the early part of the 1900s or the, 19th, the 20th century sometime. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing. It's about a plague that breaks out in a city, and they have mm-hmm. to quarantine the city. And then these people battle about when we're going to go back out. They're trying to sneak back past the gates to get out mm-hmm. back to their people. And, you know, like these are the kind of things that— Right. And that happened like, in 1918 as well. Yeah, with like the, we deal with these things. But I think more than ever, we have the capacity to become <laughs> philosophers. And every man not only has the ability to put his—and uh, woman— ideas out for everyone to see mm-hmm. on social media. We also have the time to do it. Like in the 21st century, we're right. the type of people who work an eight-hour workday. We come home and we have hours to sit on our chair mm-hmm. and write stupid things on the internet. Right. And so it's, this is something that I guess I'm still wrestling through what it means. Does it mean you just don't use social media or you just, you know, you don't get mad about it. But it's like, I see people write things that they clearly have no idea what they're talking about you know, presuming a philosophical or theological perspective, mm-hmm. right? And then and getting up in arms about people who disagree with them. And it's like, you know, you've never had any formal training in that area. You don't really have any expertise in what you're talking about. In the same way, if I was to come to you about what your area of expertise is, you know, whether that be building a car, building a mm-hmm. house, you know, plumbing, whatever, writing data, whatever, you know, you would obviously have the expertise to refute me and tell me you're an idiot and that is not the way to think about things. But in the philosophical arena, 
you know, it's it's up for grabs. You know, you write whatever you want, <laughs> and no one right. no one has any qualms about entering into the discussion. And I'm not saying they should, but I think that's an interesting facet of the way that the discussion takes place. Right, and that gets. I mean, and that's kind of what you saw on on. I mean, that was another thing that was a big deal this summer, but that I think's always been around, and that's you know this idea of cancel culture. Yeah. Um. Which was basically, I mean, like with what you're saying. So I think basically you could boil down that issue to an argument about when accountability should be for what you write online and like how much tech is responsible for that. Yeah, that's another huge question that we're, yeah. we're facing right now. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that's that's another can of worms that we probably don't have time for right now. But um, uh, a guy you you shared one time, so I followed him, but he put on something that he said he thinks it's uh, Brian Culkin. Or yeah. His name. Anyway, yeah, he's interesting. But he put on, he termed, instead of cancel culture, I thought he had a really interesting terminology. He said, what is not cancel culture, it is a digitalized, capitalistic, I forget what the third modifier was. Um, but basically, uh, this idea that we, since we are such a digitalized, capitalistic society, it actually is that there's such an open field for any kind of thought mm-hmm. and philosophical approach to any kind of issue. And because we're so digitalized, there's always a platform for them. Yeah. Um, to where he said, like, now what we're dealing with isn't as much that we're intolerant of those things with cancel culture or something like that. Um, but that since we can have such selection with our social media and who we block, who we follow, what we post with with absolutely zero accountability for the most part, um, I think was his argument a little bit with how he termed it. Sure. So as it's 1046 and I have class at 11, um, you know, all we've been talking about the things that everybody's been thinking about. But as you as you come out of your summer and go back to school and these things are are at place in the world, like what what's what's kind of if you could wrap up with like what's where are you at right now? What are you wrestling with or how do you summarize what you're feeling about 2020? Okay, um, a couple things first. I, I share the feeling of um, a, a sadness um, about feeling homeless, um, essentially, um, with a lot of the ideologies and philosophies that are passed around in more mainstream. I just don't I can't resonate with very well um, on the right or left. Uh, so that makes it really complicated because. Um, and I think that's the hardest part because I'm reading this book by David Brooks right now, which uh, I should talk more about later because it's a fantastic book. But anyway, he eventually he he I was just finishing reading up his chapter where he he outlines kind of the movement from the 60s when it was um, which I don't need to get all of it. Bottom line is he makes the argument that in a hyper individualistic age, mm-hmm. um, that is when you resort to tribalism. He has this quote tribalism is community for lonely narcissists, (laughs) Um, which I thought is just this fantastic quote. Um, But I think I've been thinking about that a lot in that, like, because of feeling maybe homeless or alone and some of it, like it's, I think it's hard to, or it's hard not to feel that because of a tribalistic approach that requires you to like, you have to really sit down and be really humble and engage with issues. And it means that, I can't trust some of the people that I thought I could trust originally. Um, you know, we talked earlier, Eric Metaxas, he was a thinker. I thought I could trust what he said earlier. Um, and I don't feel that way anymore. And so like it, it requires kind of this, 
um, upheaval a little bit in in how you think and in who you trust and in even in what you think. And and that's the part that's hard. Like you have to take everything at such a face value and engage it on its level um, without being drawn into more of this unhealthy group think. So that for me has been has been difficult and just feeling kind of grief and some anxiety about. Um, but then the other thing I've been thinking a, a ton about is um, the two other things. One would just be, I mean, on a very basic level, humility with, with my approach to, to people who I love and who I'm very good friends with and who I disagree yeah. with strongly. Um, and finding ways to like, I think it's very important we still have those conversations, even with how uncomfortable they may be right mm. now. Um, but, but that's hard for me as an Enneagram nine, uh, right. especially, sure. <laughs> sure. but, but, um, so that's been really important for me, just, just maintaining a high level of humility and in, in hearing people with where they're coming from and not feeling like I have to be loud, the louder voice or whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, and then, then the last thing, the last thing I would say would just be, um, tolerance in the truest sense of the word, um, like. Tim Keller defines tolerance as like, so like how we were saying, like everybody's going to approach these issues from a philosophical perspective. And he said, what truly makes you intolerant or tolerant is how you treat those people Mm -hmm. who are coming at it in different ways. And, you know, I know we have this aversion like, oh, can't, you know, tolerance, whatever. I mean, you know, you know how it can sound sometimes, but tolerance in the truest sense of the word in which you take things, people, the, the main idea of tolerance being the way you treat people who come at these things differently. And like, that's my biggest thing and how I can learn like I think as a person who's trying to be gospel centered like I should have the confidence that I can enter into deep opposition and still um, somehow find unity in sure. that because of because the tomb's empty um, yeah so that's why I've I've I, my favorite book in the New Testament is probably besides the gospels is Philemon in which you see Paul enter into this this big conflict but he has the confidence to enter into it because of the gospel um, so that's for me what I've been thinking a ton about and having the confidence to still not give up, keep engaging um, because the tomb's empty and anything's possible. But yeah. What about you? I like that. Um, I was listening. Right, no, I wasn't listening to my professor was playing the other day in class as part of an interview that was done about 10 years ago. I can't remember who the guy was who was on it, but he was actually, he used the same word tolerance, um, tolerance for other people. And he said that Tolerance is not enough. Like, you don't, as a Christian, being civil and loving your neighbor in the discourse, in the conversation, um, when you come into these, you know, diverging spaces, tolerance is not enough. Like, you have to be civil. And civility Mm -hmm. is not a characteristic of some Christians who happen to have, like, that personality. Mm -hmm. Like, loving your neighbor, being civil, being decent to people is a fundamental part of what it means to be Christian. And when you engage people in a way that is less than that, then mm-hmm. like you are being unchristian, regardless of where you stand on the rest of the things. Right. And I, I actually found some comfort in that. Like that is that is the truth. Um, I think this is still I'm yeah, I'm still working through these these things, you know, like we're just right now it's um it's the first of September and we are mm-hmm. presented with this hard line binary, right? Like Democrat, Republican. Right, and that's not going away anytime. And we have an election this year, you know, and and that's what I think, you know, these events you kept, there was never this time when you sit back and you go, okay, finally made it through or whatever. It's like the pandemic's ongoing. 
there's still riots. And then we have an election yet. It's kind of, and looking at the election, I think the most helpful image is, um, I forget if it's Mary or Pippin with Gandalf. Um, and I think it's Minas Tirith. And they're looking out across and you see the volcanoes and going and the armies yeah. are getting ready to march towards them. And it's like this calm before what is coming, <laughs> right. the storm, you know? The storm. Yeah. yeah. So I guess what I've, what I've been kind of coming away with is like, we we're, we're given a binary and mm-hmm. asked to choose like which which one can we most easily stuff into our into our gospel lives like can we stuff Joe Biden in there or Donald Trumpism right and um i guess what i've been coming away with is like <laughs> neither one of those are going to fit mm-hmm. like if you're going to and i'm not i'm not making the argument that you couldn't vote for either person as a christian mm-hmm. but like you the cross is the third option and it doesn't Mm -hmm. really fit with one or the other. And like, you know, you see people try to, I mean, locally, just to be honest, like in the South where we live, like we see people try to back Trump and try to put the gospel behind Trump Mm -hmm. and, you know, try to attach arguments. Well, it's about the unborn or, or whatever. And like, I'm just, I'm really, it's becoming clear. It's like Shane Claiborne describes the gospel as the third way. Mm -hmm. And, I guess it is just profoundly lonely to be a Christian and being politically homeless, being ideologically in your community homeless. You know, there's not a lot of people that are really rallying around the gospel and the gospel alone. Like that's a lonely place to be. So yeah, working out what that means, Mm -hmm. you know, I like, I am planning to vote this election. Who am I going to vote for? I'm not actually sure yet, but, um, yeah, it's it can be it's a hard time, but I think it's a good time and it's a good time to be having a podcast. It's a good time to be going to classes that are engaging mm-hmm. with these kind of issues. It's a good time to be talking to your neighbors and figuring out what it means to love people, because like you said, yeah, these things aren't going to go away. And hopefully, hopefully we are more at the end of them than we were at the beginning. Like hopefully as Christians, we become something. Well, that's inevitable. We will become mm-hmm. something that we weren't when we started, but hopefully it's something more in the image of God. Right. And I think this podcast, a lot of what's going to be as we keep going is just kind of the space for which not just us, but where we try to draw other people in yeah. and just try to just start having these kind of conversations that we're going to have to have if we want to try to live out the third way. Because I think the other the one other option that you do see besides just the binaries is the complete um, the complete. I don't know what you call withdrawal from any of it. Yeah, um, saying oh it's just politics and so you, and you just got to distance yourself from all of it. And I don't think that's the answer either. Um, like I don't think which uh, to temper that. I mean there are times you you should probably go read <laughs> your Bible away, and, right? instead of reading your Twitter feed or whatever it might be. Um, but at the same time, like these are issues of, of importance because they matter for how I mean they, they matter for how we love our neighbor. So I think in that way you can't make a great argument for how you can just back away from them. So. Hopefully this podcast can be helpful this fall um, just to try to yeah. process through this stuff because this will run us this, you know, we don't finish out the semester till after the election. So we'll have plenty to talk about. Um, so looking forward to some conversations we can have. But sure. I think that's a great place to end for today. Um, not just because we're at the end of what we're talking about, because it's time to go to class. <laughs> yes. If I walk right now, I will make it on time, potentially. Well, that's been great. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Yeah. And um, we're hoping to release one podcast every Mm -hmm. week for the next foreseeable future, come what may. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you again next week. 